Hello and welcome to another episode of My Soccer Story. My name is Joshua Doran. Thanks for joining me as I talk to people from across the world of soccer to learn about their journey and what the sport means to them. My guest today is former MLS player Amobi Okugo. Amobi appeared in 147 MLS regular season games and is the founder of a frugal athlete. Our conversation covered everything from being part of the Philadelphia Union's debut season to his time with the U.S. Youth National Team and his passion for helping athletes be financially responsible. Sit back, relax, and listen as Amobi Okugo shares his soccer story. Joining me today is entrepreneur extraordinaire, former major league soccer player, all kinds of things going on. Amobi Akugo. Amobi, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad we got I'm, to get, get connected. Yeah, I am doing great. Thanks. Really looking forward to this. The first thing I always like to ask people is just very simply, where do you feel like your soccer story began? Where did you really start to get introduced to the game and fall in love with it? Oh my goodness. That's a great question. Uh, where do I start? Um, I would say it starts in 94, you know, I mean, uh, granted I was three years old at the time, but that was when the world cup was here and Nigeria was playing. And I grew up not only watching the games live from what I can remember, but I remember watching the tapes of the 94 world cup and the 96 Olympics. And then to follow up the 98 world cup, just so before I was 10 years old, I was already immersed in the game just through, you know, watching the Nigerian golden generation play and represent themselves in the United States where, you know, my parents relocated and immigrated to um, me being first generation. And then, you know, trying to do what I saw on TV on my school soccer team. And uh, those are my earliest memories, you know, going to the family functions or uncles and aunts at the house watching the game. So that's what I remember. And it's funny now being on the other side of it with 2026 coming up to see, uh, to see what can happen. How did that look for you? It, it sounds like you were more introduced by the game itself, not necessarily you just playing soccer to get exercise or to be with your friends or something. It was you falling in love with the Nigerian men's national team, the world cup, all of that kind of stuff. What, and you mentioned just kind of wanting to replicate in that in school. When did you really start actually playing and figure that this is something I want to take really seriously or, hey, I'm pretty good at this and might be able to make something out of it, whether that was a college scholarship, a professional career, wherever you were kind of thinking at that point? Yeah. So that's uh, so growing up, I mean, I always had like a ball in my hand, whether it was a soccer ball or basketball, but I was just I just knew soccer and obviously 90s Jordan. but it wasn't like, oh, yeah, you're going to go pro. So my parents put me on the school team. Um, it was funny enough, there, our kindergarten class had two teams, like an A and a B team. And the A team was like everyone that kind of knew each other before from the previous like uh, pre-K. And I was on the B team because no one could pronounce my name. And we ended up playing the A team and we smacked them up. I had like, I don't know, 10, 11 goals. And and then they were like, yo, we need to find a way to bring a Moby on the A team or do something. And my dad being as prideful as he is, he was like, no, he's staying on the team that y'all kept him on. Like, why would he change if they're the B team and they're doing better? So the following year combined teams and um, 
just play for my school team. My parents were, you know, they wanted me to stay active, you know, build relationships. And, you know, there's so many life skills that you can learn from sports. Um, so that's kind of why they had me play sports for the local school team. But it wasn't like you're going to do this and you're going to go pro. Um, it was around fourth grade when things kind of got a little bit serious. And I started to play for the local competitive team. And my parents didn't know anything about competitive. It was the help of, you know, a friend or, you know, classmate's parents was that was telling my parents like, yeah, your son's good. Um, we already know that, but he could be playing in a whole they're like there's 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 a whole different ball game outside of school. What was that transition like for you as you go from just playing at school to playing at a higher level, getting introduced to the more competitive nature, the all of the hierarchy of the youth soccer system and eventually youth national teams and all that kind of stuff. It sounds like that was a pretty dramatic and quick turn for you. What was that part of it like when you got to those higher levels and were getting called into to youth national team camps and things like that? No, that's a great point. I mean, it all happened so fast, but I think when I, you know, when going from school to competitive to then ODP and then to national teams, it's just the level of exposure, you know, not only being able to play um, with better talent, but, you know, travel different locations. You know, I tell people all the time, my family vacations growing up were soccer tournaments. And if we wanted to, you know, immerse ourselves in whether it was San Diego for Surf Cup or, you know, Dallas Cup, my, my parents were like, if you want to stay longer, then win, you know, because that's what make you stay, stay till the end. So, so uh, that was the motivation for us. I was able to travel not only the country, but the world um, through soccer. So I'm forever grateful for what soccer has provided. But I think the biggest thing was ex, uh, like exposure and, you know, meeting people that were just as good, if not better. And, you know, always consistently pushing myself because it's like, if I'm not staying up to par, then I'm not going to be able to see my friends at the next national team camp, or I'm not going to be playing, playing against them at the state cup or the regional tournaments. So for me, it was just motivation and exposure to like, there's a whole world out there of talent that's, you know, trying to get better every day, but also people that you can connect with. Now looking back on specifically your youth national team experience what stands out to you about that and how do you feel like the national team exposure and playing at that level helped prepare you for major league soccer for having a professional career do you see now that you can kind of reflect points where there were specific benefits from the youth national team setup and getting to participate in that Oh, most definitely. I think for me, it was iron sharpens iron. So you're competing with the top talent on a day in, day out basis. Um, and then having the fortunate pleasure of going to residency, seeing what the professional atmosphere looks like. So my level of discipline just, you know, shot through the roof because I understood like this is what it takes to make it to the next level and to demand the best out of yourself. So for me, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. My youth national team experience has led me to be uh, successful, not only on the field, but off the field. And I think if I were to do it all over again, I would choose the same path over, over and over. Maybe with some little bit of tweaks and things, but for the most part, um, you know, it was good. Like my first week in residency, I, I was, I was on a plane to Argentina for a month. Like you can't, you can't replicate that experience. It doesn't matter how many times you try. So um, for me, it was the iron sharpens iron aspect of it, but also like just having a clear roadmap of like, this is the path that you can take to get to the level that you want to reach. 
ultimately that path leads you to major league soccer. And the first thing I wanted to ask you about this is how did you view the adjustment, the step up in competition? I talk to players all the time. They say it's faster. You got to make quicker decisions, less time on the ball. Was there something specific though? I'm just curious, kind of the, the time frame you entered MLS. And I feel like it's an interesting one where the league was, was starting to grow. Talent was starting to increase. It was becoming more of a global league and, and getting more talent from South America and places like that. Not necessarily where it is today, but it was kind of on that, that trajectory. So what was your kind of introduction to MLS like? No, it was good. I think for me, the biggest thing was like understanding that, you know, people, it's not just like wins and losses. It's like people are doing this to put food on the table. Like I was 18 years old, young guy. And, you know, people I was competing against like 30 with three kids. So it wasn't just like, yo, I'm happy to be here. It's like, no, this is how I put family uh, through school. This is how I, you know, pay my bills. So understanding that dynamic of like, it's not just like, oh, we're going to get them next game. It's like, no, we have to win now because my, I'm on a contract year. And if I don't get my bonuses, then you got to adjust and find a new team. So understanding that dynamic was a big change. And it really took into it helped me take into account the level of um, the details. The details matter. Everything that you do, everything matters. So I really think that was really good. Obviously, the speed of play, but over time, you get adjusted to it, um, especially if you have a good system or a good coach that exposes you and gives you chances to play. Um, so the level was never an issue for me. It was more just like the understanding of like you're on a team, but you're not on the team too, Like because I'm trying to make sure I'm starting and like I want you to do well because it helps our team, but I also wouldn't mind if you get hurt because we're in the same position and I need to – so that dynamic of like, like that individualism that every athlete has, that ego that every athlete has within the scope of a team. What do you feel like? That's interesting. I've never heard somebody articulate it that way. What do you feel like people who are watching on TV or who are fans or who know that right you're competing for your spot every week, the, the 11's not guaranteed, you got to earn it in training and things like that. What do you feel like they don't appreciate about the the intensity and the pressure you are under every day? Like you said, especially in a league like MLS, where you've got people coming from all kind of different walks of life, different soccer backgrounds, and people, you, there's plenty of competition for your spots every single week. Yeah. What do you feel like people don't get about that? Because it's, I feel like in that sense, it's maybe different than the Premier League, you know? Yeah, most definitely. Well, I appreciate your compliment on the last uh, response I had. I, you know, I think it's really important that I'm always authentic. I give it to people real. But what people don't understand is that as an athlete, you are closer to the end of your career than the start of it. It's a coach's job. It's a GM's job to find someone that's more talented than you for either less money or younger or that they can get more value out of. So, for example, you can be the best player in the world but if Messi comes they can get more value out of him even if he's 36 obviously Messi one of the best players of all time so maybe not the best uh, analogy but the same could be said for a young dynamic player from Boca Juniors that's 18 years old and you've been at the club you're 27 fan favorite doing well but if they can get more value out of them they're gonna find a way eventually to get that guy so because maybe it's the resale value, 
maybe it's more butts and seats, whatever that looks like. So I think what fans don't understand is the constant battle within within the ears as an athlete. Like you're always challenging yourself, challenging yourself within the team, challenging yourself within the coach who he wants to choose every day, challenge yourself within the community, within the fans. Uh, it's 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 a tough battle that you have to face every day. And now with MLS growing every game, you know, it's almost every three days is a game. Um, that level of competition, obviously, you know, you, we can argue about promotion relegation and all that. But at the end of the day, owners don't want to just lose money. Uh, coaches don't want to just lose. So they want to win as well. And I think with how MLS is now, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot more turnover. There's a lot more turnover that you're seeing. You're not seeing players, you know, play out their contracts with the same club. And uh, I think you're going to see more of that, you know, moving forward. You mentioned the turnover. You had some experience with that, moving to different clubs, playing in different environments. How does that factor into the mental challenges you're talking about in terms of just getting yourself in the best? place mentally to be able to perform to the best of your ability and to also just process everything from the fact that you know the person behind you on the depth chart is coming for your job transfer rumors the club might be bringing in player xyz the just that the coming in and out of clubs and moving locations and having to readjust how does that play into the the mental part of it that's a great point. That's a great question. I think it's like, depending on how you look at it, I think one thing my uh, uh, a friend of mine told me is like, you know, always have a bag packed because as a soccer player, you're always going to be on the move. And then uh, obviously, like, there's jokes about like the buy, your, buy a house curse. Like once you buy a house, you're going to get traded. Uh, but as it pertains to, uh, you know, being traded, you can look at it two ways. You know, you're always wanted or you're never wanted. And I try to I, I try to look at it the latter you know um you're going to a new situation because the team either needs you or wants you um and so how are you going to find yourself and how are you going to acclimate yourself to that new team find your role within the team as quickly as possible obviously it's an adjustment because you're the new kid on the block you're the new kid at school but because of the way soccer is there's a lot of turnover there's a lot of overlap we all came up together in some way shape or form or we have certain commonalities so you're able to get adjusted fairly quickly, whether it's, you know, a guy on the team or you've played it against that player a number of times. And if you're if you're a top player and you have a good reputation, um, the welcoming is not as difficult. Um, it's just now it's like, how do, how do you adjust to the formation? How do you adjust to the culture? How do you adjust to, you know, a new fan base? And then most importantly, how do you adjust off the field, especially if you have a family, new school, wife getting adjusted or partner getting adjusted? Um different favorite like uh, restaurants, even like a new barber, like these little things that people don't understand living out of suitcase because the movers haven't got the stuff situated in finding a house. What's the school district. Those are the things that you have to worry about also while performing. And a lot of it, you know, give credit to the families of the, of these, of these players, but it's, it's tough. The last MLS specific question I want to ask you is very simply, did you, when you were in Philadelphia or even in the years after you left the club, see the union becoming what they are now? I've also gotten the chance to ask a couple of their academy players. Did As you were coming through the academy, did it 
did you see it becoming this monstrosity churning out players that are going to Europe? And I'm just really curious from your perspective and where you were and where the club was when you were there. Did did you feel like this was coming where the union are now one of the standard bearers in MLS? I'm not going to lie and say, yeah, I knew they were going to be <laughs> the top dogs, but I knew they were planting the seeds to be formidable. Obviously, you know, we were trailblazers and, you know, being part of an expansion team um, in 2010, obviously, you know, people know the stories of, you know, practicing in parks and getting kicked off, you know, fields and stuff like that. But those are part of the growing pains. Like we can't choose our timing. Like, yeah. Oh, thanks parents. You, you had me in 91 and not in 99 where I'd be coming up right now. But at the end of the day, it's all part of the history of Philadelphia union and it makes what's happening now what's transpiring now that much better because it's all part of the story. So what, you know, the ownership group and the coaching staff have been able to do by planting the seeds early on from YSC to now the training facility to the pipeline of talent that they're developing both uh, internally and recruiting and then the foreign uh, transfer windows that they're being able to get players that fit into the core of what Philadelphia is as a city, as a community, as a playing style. Oh, it's done a great job. You know, I'm still um, I'm still bummed because I went to the final last year against LAFC, you know, with one of my closest friends. We were cheering on in the section with uh, we were three fans against the rest of the LAFC crowd in our section. And, you know, we were talking mess up until that final minute. And uh, but, yeah, it's, it's great to see what happened, uh, what's what's been going on with Philly. You know, that means so much to me. That was the first club I've ever played for, played for them the longest out of all the clubs I played with, uh, you know, came in as a boy, you know, left as a man, still have uh, a house out there. So it's great to see what's, what's transpiring in Philly. I think the next step is how do they get over that hump? Uh, I don't know if they're, uh, I like to joke, it's the Amobi Okugo Open Cup curse, but hopefully they can get something done soon, get that cup. The yeah. positive, the positive way to look at it is you've got to put yourself in positions to play to exactly. know, win big games to put yourself in position to play in the biggest of games and that's I feel like that's the positive way to look at it. That's the, exactly like you know they're they're playing to the final day. That's like this, but I, we're gonna get over that hub. We're not gonna Buffalo Bills it for sure. <laughs> the other part of this I want to talk about and why I was specifically interested in having you on is what you are are doing now and your passions and interests off the field, your passion for helping athletes. So the first question is just where did this passion for entrepreneurship, for financial literacy, economics, all of that stuff come from for you? Where do you feel like that started? So for me, I've always been pretty, uh, you know, money cautious or like interested in business. This, like if you ask some of the guys from the early days of Philadelphia Union, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm not surprised. Like he was always, you know, frugal with his money, saving his per diem, you know, doing different things. But it wasn't until I saw the 30 for 30 broke documentary where I was like, yo, this is this is a serious issue. We need to make sure that athletes are being caught more cautious with their money. So I kind of took it upon myself, mostly out of curiosity to um, highlight stories of athletes that were doing it the right way with their money and their career decisions. And that's what birthed uh, Frugal Athlete. 
And then since then, I've been able to do a, a number of different things in the business space. But it all started with, you know, what happened with the frugal athlete and what I've been able to do there. What specifically on the frugal athlete part of what you do, what do you feel like or what have you learned working with athletes and trying to help them be financially responsible? What do you feel like athletes miss or just are lacking in terms of education or support so that when they get drafted, whether it's the NFL or Major League Baseball, MLS, whatever, are are kind of set up for success or where where are the areas you're trying to emphasize when you're working with players? I think it's a tough dynamic because, you know, as athletes, we we almost get like a head start, you know, everything's in reverse, you know. In most cases, we reach our, our peak at a younger age, whereas if you're a doctor, lawyer, engineer, you you know, graduate college, go to more school or go straight to the workforce and you work your way up, you know, up. Whereas athlete, you bam, bam, and you start here. And then depending on what you do with your money, uh, you can either keep going, stay, or gradually go down. So as an athlete, you know, being able to understand your situation and then putting the right uh, resources in place to learn that, but you're almost learning as you're flying the plane, which doesn't give you, you know, your, your, your learning lessons are scrutinized a little bit more just because you have more to play with. Uh, the level, the window of influence is smaller. So understanding that dynamic as an athlete, I think is really important. But I would say, obviously, the lack of financial uh, literacy and then emotional blackmail and then the lack of, you know, building a team the right way. And what's funny is that we're you're so used to being on teams as a, in sports, but how do we build it from this concept of being an athlete CEO? So I think if athletes think of themselves as businesses instead of just individuals that play a sport. So they'll be more inclined to not only be better with their money, understand how to manage it better, but also multiply the money that they're making now because they're in a unique age of their life where it can compound when they're done playing uh, plentiful. What role do you want to see leagues and maybe even teams play in this? Obviously, everybody is individual, can make their own financial decisions, but you hear things about, right, the the NFL rookies go through the symposium and I believe that there's supposed to be some kind of financial advice, at least as part of that. You obviously hear some, some very sad stories about that, maybe not getting through. If you were kind of in charge or what, what do you feel like leagues need to do a better job of to try and set players up for success from the get go? Yeah, so that first and foremost, they need to hire a frugal athlete. <laughs> no, all, all jokes aside, um, it's really commendable to see what the different programs are doing, whether it's the player programs for the leagues or the players' associations. They're doing a great job or um, making great strides to increase their career development, personal development, and also financial literacy outlets. So I would think they just need to dive into it a little bit more. It's tough to tell you know, a young uh, pro what to do with their money but if you can be that outlet and kind of lead them in the right direction provide resources provide roadmaps provide you know opportunities you know open up their eyes a little bit more um obviously and not in a pushy way but you know in a comforting way um you'll see more positive stories around you know athletes and their money and you're starting to see that you're starting to see athletes take a more proactive approach in how they handle their financial playbooks, but still it needs to be across the board. 
And it's a delicate balance of, yes, it has to be the with the player, but it also has to be the league and the teams and the organizations providing resources and a helping hand as well. When you think back to when you started your professional career and where you are now having really invested so much time and effort and and trying to become really educated on this topic, trying to help athletes. What are some of the biggest takeaways you've had, whether it's from your own personal experience or what you have, have learned working with, with these athletes, trying to become an expert in this area and ultimately using everything you've learned to, to help others. What are some of the big takeaways you've had? Well, that's a great question. I think the biggest takeaways um, are understanding athletes have leverage. You know, you're in a unique position as an athlete. Doesn't matter if you're the top star player or the number 22 off the bench. You have unique leverage that not a lot of people are fortunate to have. There's not, you know, professional athletes just built in a factory. You've earned the right to be there. You've earned the opportunity. Take advantage of it, not only on the field, but off the field as well, whether it's in the community, whether it's with brand partnerships, whether it's with the capital that you're making. And I think that's the biggest takeaway that I've been able to learn is that athletes are taking advantage of the leverage that they have. I think the biggest thing as well is, you know, athletes understanding that, you know, money doesn't grow on trees and not everyone is going to be fortunate enough to get the big, big contracts. So what are you doing now and how are you letting that affect the decisions you make uh, from a long-term and short-term perspective. Final three questions I always end with. The first one, how do you feel like soccer and your soccer journey have shaped you as a person off of the field? Man, it's done everything. Soccer has, uh, has given me so much, and I've been able to use soccer as a vehicle to what I, I want to do now. I think my life perfectly exemplifies you know, how I use soccer. Soccer, you know, to be able to connect with different people, to be able to explore different passions and to be able to be um, almost like a facilitator, a conduit, you know, whether it was as a center mid or a center back. You know, my my job was transitioning offense to defense, defense to offense, regulating. And that's what I do in my everyday life now, you know, as a facilitator, as a conduit, as a regulator. And, um, you know, from discipline to man management to, you know, coach to you know organization all the skills that i've been able to take from soccer and apply it to my life um has been uh amazing second one what are some of your favorite memories highlights from your soccer career it can be back from your very early days to up to your professional career what are when you when you look at your career what are some of the moments that stand out to you oh most definitely i would say you know the Youth, youth national team camps and tournaments. We, you know, play camps and like different car games and just have fun. And because these were, you know, guys that you wouldn't see all the time, but you'd see them at the big, you know, whether it's national team camp or big tournaments. And that's when you would all like get to catch up and stuff. Obviously, residency was a big part of my life. I think obviously draft day because it was like a culmination of all the sacrifices I made, my parents made, my family made, and to get to that point to get your name called. Um, it didn't matter if I played any game after that to be able to have that happen uh, was a testament in its own right. Um, the the big games, you know, the Friday night, the Sunday afternoon, the Saturday night games with the boys going to war with your boys. There's no better feeling than that. Uh, just the locker room vibes. Uh, 
yeah, we had a couple good runs, uh, open cup run. That was fun. We had, you know, a couple playoff runs, you know, so those are, those are the moments that, you know, you, you definitely miss. You definitely look back on and be like, yo, that was fun. Very cool. And then last question, Amobi, what does your soccer story mean to you? Oh, what does my soccer story mean to me? I think it's not even been done. It's not done yet. You know, we got some exciting things in the works from a soccer perspective. I want to tell more soccer stories, um, not just from a uh, an analyst perspective, but tell soccer stories, highlight, you know, stories that I think need to be told. But my soccer story, I think it means it means a lot. I think it could serve as inspiration for uh, folks that are looking to use soccer as as a as a springboard to different things that they want to do in life. We all know soccer is the global game. Soccer is the people's game. Um, but soccer doesn't last forever on the playing side. But it's important to understand how you can make it, you know, last forever just through soccer in general. So that's what it means to me. It's uh, it's given me a lot, and I hope to, you know, pay my pay my pay my favors as well. I would say you are definitely already doing that, and I'm sure you will continue to do so. That is very cool. Amobi, thank you so much for taking the time to share your soccer story. No, most definitely. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks again to Amobi for taking the time to chat. Be sure to subscribe to My Soccer Story wherever you listen to podcasts. The video version of each My Soccer Story episode is available on the Touchline Talk YouTube channel, and there's a written version at touchlinetalksoccer.com, so check those out as well. This is the final episode of the season. Don't worry, though. My Soccer Story will return after the holidays. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Wow.